If John, the evangelist, and the other evangelists, for that matter, were alive today and they had not yet written a gospel, I'm not so sure they would have written one. I think they made a, might have made a movie instead because movies are very visual. How many people here have ever seen the Ten Commandments? Okay. You remember that scene when Moses goes out and God told him to, to strike the waters and then they would divide and make a big wall? And in the movie, uh, you see this wall. It's going like this. The water is all over the place, but it's not here. And it dries out, and the, and the Jews were able to walk across the dried land. Now, that's so visual. So um, I think that's what they would have preferred to do because it's powerful when it's a, a visual thing in our heads. And so instead, because they didn't have that venue at the time, they did it in their writing. And I think that many times in the writing of the scriptures, there's exaggerations, there are uh, things that are said that are very ideal because they're trying to make a point so visual, so clear that we get the point. So, for example, this week, uh, and all through the Easter season, and by the way, this is a little anecdote, um, I, I'm delighted at the number of people that come to Daily Mass during Lent. It's an increase, sometimes maybe double. It's beautiful. But I wish it would triple for the Easter season because this is the season that we see all the glory of the risen Christ, and it's powerful. This week alone, we had two stories that were two or three days of continuing story, both the gospel and the first reading. So I'll just reflect on the first reading. In the first reading, Peter and John came to a place, and uh, there was a paralyzed man. And the narrator tells us, this guy was paralytic from birth. That means he never, ever walked, ever. And they had to carry him, the, the scripture says, to the place where they put him so he could beg for money and get enough money to eat, and then they carried him home. He never walked. So Peter and John, who were preaching in this area, came upon him, and the man looked up at G Peter and John and said, uh, you know, can you give me some alms? Give me some money for my food. So Peter and John responded, said they looked intently at him and said, silver and gold we do not have, but what we do have, I will tell you, in the name of Jesus the Christ, rise up and walk. And he does. He jumps up and he's walking, he's dancing, he's, he's running to praise the Lord. Now, this is a very visual story, very visual story. And then at the end of the passage that day, it said, that day in that place, 3,000 men were baptized. Really? I don't know. I just have trouble believing that. 3,000 people. Um, but it's very much a wow figure. We hear that and we just say, whoa. This miracle that Peter and John did in the name of Jesus just impressed so much that that many people were baptized. And the next day it says 2,000 more were baptized. So I think it's a very visual way of trying to make the point of the story. And, and you'll see how it works in the other scriptures today. And, um, and so we hear this first reading from the Acts of the Apostles also. And what we hear is about the early Christian community. And it is so incredible. It says that, you know, when they were overcome with this glory of the Lord and the risen Christ, and they came to believe and were baptized, this community of faith and love grew so that they sold what they had, their homes, their possessions, 
put all the money in one pot, and from that they all lived equally out of that pot, and then gave money to the poor. Now, many of the scholars say this is an ideal picture. It isn't necessarily literally that they did exactly that, but it's an ideal picture of people who have been filled with the new spirit and have come to a place of love. And I don't know if people could live that. There is a catechumenate group in the church today. They've approached me uh, three times to ask if they could form a group here. I say, no way, because they demand a lot. And although they try to live this life like that scripture says, uh, they demand a lot of service to them, and I'm one man, and I'm not very young, and I, I could never do what they ask. Um, but besides that, if we see it as an ideal, ideals are things that call us to move in that direction. It doesn't matter if we live it exactly. It doesn't matter if we imitate it exactly, but, but we hear a call in it, and it moves us to want to live a little bit more in that way. So even as a family... You, you could have a, a little bowl in your, in your house that say, whatever you have, extra change, throw it in there. And at the end of the month, we're going to give it to the poor. I mean, what a beautiful thing. And that would be living this first reading today. The second reading uh, also, I don't know if it's ideal, but Peter writes this to a community of new believers. And he reminds them, you know, you've been baptized in, in the name of Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. You've been given a faith that's it's not going to ever perish. It's forever. And the grace of God is going to carry you, but just be careful because you are going to be going through some rough times. And you may have to suffer for the gospel. So he writes this to encourage them. And it, it, it still fits today, you know. We, we try to live the gospel, and sometimes there is a little suffering attached. But all of this really is a huge setup for the gospel. And this gospel today is, is tremendous. It's it's tremendous. So we know this scene. Now, this is the only gospel that I'm aware of that happens in a two-week period on two Sundays, okay? Um, it contains the story of both Sundays. So the first Sunday, which is Easter Day, after Jesus had appeared to Mary in the garden and to two disciples on the road to Emmaus in different uh, stories, um, he appears to the apostles in the upper room, but Thomas isn't there, and the narrator makes a point of that. He wasn't there when Jesus appeared. And when Jesus appeared, he comes into a room, the upper room, and the doors and windows are locked, says, for fear of the Jews. And, and just bluntly, the disciples, the apostles thought, if they did that to Jesus, what are they going to do to us, his followers? So they were protecting themselves. They're in this upper room, afraid, and Jesus appears, comes to locked doors and windows, is standing in their midst. And the first thing he says to them is, peace be with you. You might wonder why. That's the shalom. That's what everybody says to greet one another in the Jewish community. But this particularly would have been uh, a meaningful thing because these apostles uh, probably weren't standing at the cross the whole crucifixion. I suspect some of them ran away. Peter denied Jesus three times. How did Peter feel when Jesus appeared? Not only that he'd risen and he was in their midst, but Peter had to face himself. I betrayed the Lord three times just as he said I would. But the first words that Jesus said, he isn't criticizing them or correcting them or blaming them. He says, peace be with you. Shows him his hands, his side, his feet. And then he says, 
I'm going to send you forth, and whose sins you shall forgive, forgiven, whose sins you retain are retained. And he says again, peace be with you. And in this, he, he calls them and sends them forth. And this is, this is uh, Divine Mercy Sunday. And here we get in all of the readings and in the prayers of the church today, but particularly in this gospel, we get to see the mercy of God. That after Jesus went through that, there was no, no uh, anger, there was no resentment, there was no punishing, just a sharing of peace and mercy. And calling them to be ministers of mercy. Now, some say that's the day that Jesus instituted the sacrament of, of confession, reconciliation, but we didn't even have the concept of sacrament at the time. But certainly you can see the roots in that, and that we have those confessionals in our church that we say, in that room, that's mercy and forgiveness. That's what that is, mercy and forgiveness. We have this picture of the divine mercy. Look at the light rays coming out of the heart, like just rays of mercy flowing out to anybody who would see them and receive them. That's what we say we receive on this Sunday. But then Thomas appears, uh, presumably that night, Easter, or maybe later during the week, it doesn't say. And uh, when he comes in the room, they all say, we've seen the Lord. And he says, mm -mm, don't tell me that. Until I see him with my own eyes, and not only that, I want to put my fingers in the, hand, in the holes of his hand. I want to touch his side. No, that's when I believe. Don't tell me this. And so we jump to the second Sunday today. And there in the upper room, and the narrator tells us quite carefully that this time Thomas was with them. And all of a sudden, Jesus is in their midst again. Same thing, doors and windows locked. Peace be with you. And then he turns to Thomas. Thomas, come here. Come here. See me. Give me your hand. Put your fingers in the hole. Put it in there. Give me your hand. Put it right here on my side. He said, now, stop your unbelieving and believe. And to Thomas's credit, he makes this profound profession of faith. My Lord and my God. And I think if you Google this, I have, uh, I believe it's the only time this expression gets used in the New Testament where somebody declares Jesus as Lord and God. Now, I personally think that this is the point of the story. We're approaching the point. It's very visual, and we can imagine every detail of it. And um, then Jesus turns to Thomas and says something. And at first, it sounds like a little chastisement. Like, for example, if you tell your kid at home, don't do this, you're going to hurt yourself. Don't do this, you're going to hurt yourself. But Ma, don't do this, you're going to hurt yourself. Then they do it and they hurt themselves. And the parent says, didn't I tell you? You never listen. Why are you so stubborn? If you listened, you wouldn't have been hurt. And they give them a big lecture. They're already hurt and they add to it. So Thomas doubted. He didn't believe. And Jesus comes in and says, peace be with you, Thomas. Come and touch. See me, feel me. And then he says those words, you know, you believe because you saw. How blessed are those who have never seen but will believe. It sounds kind of mean, but I believe those words were not meant for Thomas, they're meant for us. And whether or not Jesus said them, in the story he says them, because we are those people. None of us have seen the risen Lord personally after he rose from the dead. None of us have gone in a time machine 2,000 years back and experienced this. None of us had put our hands and our fingers in his wounds. 
How blessed are we because we believe without seeing. We believe on the testimony of others, and Thomas didn't. His fellow apostles, these chosen 12, this was a unique group. They're, they're always referred to as the 12. The 12, this is a special group. And he didn't believe any of them. Thought all 11, 10 of them, Judas has killed himself already, that all of them were lying to him. Hmm. But how blessed are we because of the things that we believe simply by reading the Word. And we grow in it. We develop in it. And, you know, again, I, I think that I caution you to be careful when you read the Scriptures and don't overdo it. Don't think that everything is so literally true because it's a living Word that is meant to evoke things in us. And I would propose to you that all of us have a little Thomas in us. I mean, really. Has anyone here, you don't have to raise your hand, you don't get a gold star for this, but has anyone here believed every single thing that's said in the faith and lived it perfectly all of their life and never doubted and never fallen from it? I don't think so. It's a call. It's an invitation. We get baptized in this faith and then we keep growing in it. We, we pray our lives through it. We go through our doubts, our ups and downs, our ins and outs. We do it all and we keep going. But because this Sunday, named by St. Pope John Paul II, Divine Mercy Sunday, he created this feast day and put it on the second Sunday of Easter, and obviously because of the stories, and so the prayers were shaped around this, but these stories are talking about God's mercy. We of all people, of all Christians, and I'm not saying we're better, but we of all Christians should be amazing people of mercy because it's so available to us. Most Christian churches don't have a confession room. They don't have what they would call a sacrament. Most don't even have sacraments in the same meaning that we do, the Anglicans, maybe the Lutherans. But, but we have this, this sacrament, one of only seven, in which we say that any time we come to it, and we expose our sinfulness, we share in words our sin, we expect and always receive words of forgiveness and mercy. And it's not the priest forgiving us. The priest merely says the words in prayer so that the penitent who confesses and the priest who shares the words, we experience Christ there. Now, there's two things about this sacrament that, that, that bother me because I'm not quite sure that people really believe it. I think they're like Thomas. Number one, I listen to some people, and, and I have to ask them this. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is really present in the Eucharist? Yes, Father, of course I do. I say, okay. If you believe that, then you must believe that Jesus Christ is really present in this sacrament of reconciliation. And so when he says, I forgive you, he forgives us. When we hear those words, we're forgiven, we're washed clean. We never need to go back and look again. We go forward. And even if we forget, it doesn't matter. I mean, God is not like us, thank God. You know, sometimes when somebody apologizes for something and, and they haven't said it all, and you say, um, and isn't there one more thing you need to say? Isn't there one more thing? We love to hold it over people, every single detail. God just says, come here, I love you. Please, I love you. So I, I, I think that is one thing. But the other thing is this, and it's related to it. Um, 
And today I have Divine Mercy Confessions from 145 to 3, and I expect to hear at least five of these, maybe ten, I hope none. Somebody will tell me, Father, I need to confess this. It's very important to me to confess it. And I've confessed it many times before. I said, oh, really? So then they confess something 40 years ago or 30 years ago. And I say, and you say you confess this before? Yes, many times, Father. I say, then why don't you believe it's forgiven? Well, I do, but I don't know. I just need to say it to God again I, just to be sure. I, I want to say, Thomas, hello, Thomas. I mean, why do we say the words? You're forgiven. And we should be a people with this sacrament, uh, with this understanding that the mercy of God is real. The mercy of God is as real as that Jesus standing there saying, here's the wounds, touch it. Put your finger in the wound. You've got to believe. You've got to feel it. We are blessed, says Jesus, because we didn't get that original sight, that original voice in our ears. But we listen here, we see here, we open here, we let God's mercy and love in here. And once we do, things can never be the same, really. If we meet the mercy of God and we are touched and overcome by it, we know that we're forgiven. We know it. And we're expected to walk forth not only in the peace of that, but also to be able to share it with others. And wouldn't it be lovely if I could look out here and count the people, 250 people, that means 250 people here today are surely going to meet at least one other person in their life on the phone or in person. And that means another 250 people will be touched by the mercy and love that you believe in with all your heart. And maybe you'll be lucky enough to listen to a person who's feeling guilt or whatever and touch them with that mercy. Assure them. Surely you believe that your God forgives you. Surely you believe that. Come and touch. Come and feel. Come and listen. Today on this Divine Mercy Sunday, we are invited, we're called. In a sense, God implores us to come to him, open our hearts and open our spirit, that we may be filled with the mercy, the forgiveness, and the love of our God.